0: We'll be out of Corinthians here, and uh, just a little context. 1 Corinthians 10, I'd like you to turn there if you can. Open up your Bibles or turn on your devices to 1 Corinthians 10, 23. A little bit of a background as we go through the scriptures here. A little bit of context here. We've been in our church series called uh, Church Matters, and we've been talking about relationships. This is the 11th And final message on relationships. See how important relationships are in the life of Christ, and particularly in discipleship. How can we be in intentional relationships with one another to help each other become more like Christ? when we don't know how to be in good relationships with one another. This is a critical aspect of discipleship that we develop strong relationships within the local church. And he covered various topics from marriage relationships to singleness, to how we relate to other Christians, to how we relate to pastors and shepherds, how we relate to even non-believers, right? Relationships, how we ultimately relate to God and to Christ himself. Today is the final message on this section on relationships. And today we're going to talk, focus on how Christ is building his church through the body. In other words, body building relationships. So if you're able to, please rise. And I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 11, verse 1. This is God's word. Verse 23. Of chapter 10. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrifice to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another, another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Finishing up here. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray your word will be preached faithfully. I pray your spirit would allow your word to be embedded into our hearts so that we will love your son more. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Sister Nicole Fukuyama read out of Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. Christ promises to build his church. And this is the one... One of the reasons that encourages us during difficult times. Just as Brother Phil talked about how Christ is building his faith through these trials, in the trials, God is still building his church. And as Christians, this is the promise that we're counting on. As Christians, we're looking forward to how Christ is expanding his kingdom. And today, we're going to be able to see how Christ is using the body To build a church. Jesus is the one who builds a church. Let's not make any mistake about that. If anyone were to ask you, Pastor, how are you going to build up Evergreen? That's the wrong question. How is Christ building up Evergreen? It's not me. It's not any of our shepherds or leaders. It's Christ. But Christ uses his body parts to build up his church. So the four points that we're going to be covering, just so you could uh, follow along a little bit easier, I'll give it to you ahead of time. How does Christ build his church? Well, bodybuilding happens as, point number one, the body serves the head. Bodybuilding happens as, point number two, the body discerns the head, meaning understands what the head wants. And point number three, the body uh, helps build the church as the body glorifies the head. And fourthly and finally, the bodybuilding happens as the body imitates the head. Now, let's get to our first point here. How does Christ build his church? Bodybuilding happens as the body serves the head. Fill in the blank. Serves is the, is the fill in the blank there, the head. Verse 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. This was a Corinthian maxim. This is a common saying of the day. This really reflected... What, how the Corinthians thought, the Corinthian culture valued liberties and personal rights. This is what the Corinthians cherished and they were about. The more rights and liberties you, you had, the greater status you had in Corinth. In essence, the Corinthians were taught culturally to take care of themselves. And in, I would imagine many of us would say, you know what, that sounds similar to our culture today. And in the problem in Corinth and perhaps the problem today is that this mentality was seeping into the local church. And it was affecting body life in Corinth. Because we know all things are not lawful. The Bible makes it very clear. Some things are black and white. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not bear false witness. These are very clear things that are not lawful. I want to give you a story here. I remember just during the dog days of summer when it was hot, training camp. I mean, two practices, it was hot, it was hard. Our bodies were sore, I was tired. I was missing just my freedoms that I get to normally do. But we're in training camp, we understood this. And then we would be in our stretching lines. The sun is beating down our heads, we're sweating already. We haven't done much already, but we're drenched in sweat already. And that thought could go into your mind. Have you been there before? Let me just get through this. Right? Have you been there before? Let me just get through this. I, I just got to get to uh, post practice and I'll be fine. Let me just get through this. But that's the wrong mentality. And I remember one of my friends, Ken Norton, would be walking around, patrolling up and down these stretch lines and says, Gentlemen, the mind controls the body, the body doesn't control the mind. He was basically saying, you have to tell your body to go for it. Because human nature, our bodies will usually take the easy way out. No different in the Christian life. Our bodies, our sinful flesh, we still are encased in our bodies. We still want to take care of numero uno, me, myself, and I. In our old ways, we were taught to think about ourselves and to take care of ourselves. But in verse 24, it says, let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. The head is saying, love one another. Think about others. Put others first. Now, this is a very countercultural way of thinking because we weren't raised this way. In our sinfulness, we want to think about ourselves first and foremost. And in verse 23, the word edify is used. Edify. This means to build up. Oikodomeo. This is the original word where it means to build up, like you're building a building or building up a body. And this is oftentimes used in how you build up the church, how you relate. Yes, we should look out for the interests of all men. However, we're called to have a special eye out for our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a special type of love that we're called to exhibit to our brothers and sisters. And the head, our mind, the head, Christ himself, Jesus is the head of the church. We're his body. Different parts, different members, different gifts, different roles. But Christ is the head of the church. The head of the church. Our mind says this. You must submit yourself to me and serve me. You no longer serve yourselves. You serve me. So what? how does Christ build his church using a body? The first step is this. The body must reconcile and submit that, Jesus, you are my head, and I'm here to serve you. I no longer serve myself. This is a critical thing that we were able to do because if you have not reconciled, if you haven't committed to following Christ as your head, You're not going to be very useful to helping build up the body of Christ. It's not going to happen because you're going to be building up your own self. You're going to be busy building up your own kingdom. Perhaps you might be building up your own family. Christ, the head of the church, says, I'm your head. So have you done that, brothers and sisters? Have you reconciled, committed, Jesus Christ, you are my Lord. You're my head. What do you want? And Christ is saying, edify the brotherhood and sisterhood. Look for a sister to edify, to build up. Look for a brother to to build up and to encourage. This is what we're called to do. So the first step is this the body must serve the head. Let's move on to our next point. How does Christ build his church? Bodybuilding happens as the body discerns the head. There are many black and white issues in life. Some things are very clear. You don't even have to even be a Christian to understand some of these black and white things. Even non-believers understand it's not okay to murder. It's generally not okay to steal. I mean, even non-believers understand this. Christians should be certainly should be clear about these things. However, there are many gray areas of life. Amen. I mean, we live in a very complex world. We're talking to brothers and sisters about, is it moral to take this type of vaccine? So forth and so on. There's a lot of gray area of life. Technology has advanced. We're, we're pushing things and trying to understand things. The Bible explicitly doesn't talk about vaccines in the Bible, Right? So how do we discern what the head wants? As a body, we need to be very clear. There needs to be good communication from the head to the body, okay? We need to know what the body wants so that we could be faithful to the body. For my birthday, I had a sweet, sweet friend who gave me this wristband. Remember this? For us old timers, it's WWJD. Remember that? Remember what that means? What would Jesus do, right? So thank you. For giving this to me, I use this as a source of encouragement. What would Jesus do in these situations? In these not-so-black-and-white, common-sense situations, how do we discern what the mind wants, right? We need to be able to do this well. So Paul gives us two scenarios, two case studies, to kind of illustrate how we should discern God's will or discern the mind of Christ, right? So let's turn to uh, verse 25 here. First scenario. It says, eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. Verse 26, he backs it up with Psalm 24.1. It says, for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, meaning go ahead and eat it. Even if it's meat sacrificed to idols, eat it. A little bit of cultural context if you joined us late for this series. In Corinth, there were these huge pagan temples, temple of Aphrodite and other things such as that where they sacrifice to false gods. And what they would do is they would have animals given to these priests and they would sacrifice and burn part of it. But instead of burning the rest of it, they would take the meat and take it to the temple butcher shop and they would sell the meat. Since there was no cost for it, they could sell it for whatever for pure profit. So the price of these, this meat was a lot cheaper. So a lot of Christian women and uh, men would go there to get a good deal. It's a good stewardship of their money. And they would buy the meat, some prime rib for half the price. Right? Why go to the marketplace and pay full price? I'd say this is good search. It's a Paul saying, hey, at home, if your wife comes home and brings some meat bought from the butcher shop, don't ask her where'd you get this from. Brothers, just cook it and eat it, right? Put it in the smoker, whatever you do, cook the meat and enjoy it. Because God has made creation for man to enjoy, to steward well, of course, but to enjoy. Don't overthink it. And the Bible says right here, for conscience sake, don't ask questions for conscience sake because it's irrelevant. The conscience has nothing to do with it. Don't overthink it. Don't be so legalistic about it. Enjoy your freedoms in Christ. So, how do you discern the mind of Christ? Christ wants us to enjoy life, right? Don't make it a bigger deal at home, in the privacy of your home. Exercise your liberties as long as it doesn't violate your conscience. Don't overthink it. Now, the second scenario, I want to. This, that, that, I think that's very clear, right, brothers and sisters. Exercise your liberties in Christ in the great areas of life. As long as your conscience is fine, enjoy it. Now, when other people are involved, things shift here. Scenario number two: An unbeliever, excuse me, an unbeliever invites you over to their home for dinner. Hey, Steve, come to my house. I'd like to uh, prepare a nice meal for you. What do you do in that situation? Like as Pastor Mako talked about, you know, you think of family and friends, you want to evangelize them. Sure, I'll come. What an evangelistic opportunity. Amazing things happen over meals. So let me read verse 27. If, If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, you don't have to, but if you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. Go and eat it. What an opportunity to build relationships, right? We're talking about relationships. Hang out with your unsaved friends and family members, of course. Eat what is set before you. Don't ask questions. Don't ask questions such as, did you buy this at the uh, temple butcher shop? For us today, you may ask, is that meat cooked in wine? Right? I mean, don't ask that. Just eat it. Just eat it. You don't want to offend your host. They've been gracious enough to invite you. Enjoy it. Have some good laughs. Be a good witness. Pray like mad that you have an opportunity to share the gospel. That's what Paul's talking about. But however, verse 28, at the top, things shift here. You happen to bring along somebody with you. Verse 20, but if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols. Who is this anyone? I think it's important for us to I spent some time trying to discern who this anyone was. It could be a non-believer who's kind of testing you out, right? Could be like, have a drink. Christians, you're not supposed to drink, but have a drink. I'm sure we've been in those situations. I certainly have. It could be a non-believer in good, good conscience or good faith saying, hey, full disclosure, I want you to know this is meat sacrifice to idols, right? Could be. But I think it's his third option. It's a weaker brother because in verse 29 it says, out of consideration for their conscience. You don't want to corrupt their conscience. So in this situation, you got this non-believing host who's prepared this incredible meal for you and you want to be a good witness and build evangelistic relationship with them. And then you got this other brother or sister, weaker brother or sister, weaker meaning less mature in the faith. They're They're not quite informed. They go, huh? Sally, this meat is demon meat. I don't think we should eat it. What do you do in that situation? What do you do in that situation? What would Jesus do, right? What would you do? Do you offend the uh, host, or do you offend your Christian brother or sister, perhaps, that you've been discipling? You know, there re- there's a reason why you do it. You, you're, you're, she, he or she's there. Well, verse 28 clearly says this. Do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for, your con- for conscience' sake. Verse 29. I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. So the Bible says, Don't eat it. First Corinthians 8 says this. What remember at the end? Verse 13 Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again. So that I will not cause my brother to stumble. This is a big point here. You choose, you defer to your brother or sister over the non believer. Wow, won't I offend my non believing friend or relative? Here's the interesting thing. We're talking about bodybuilding, all right, bodybuilding. And, and I remember as, as a coach, even as a player, one of the most common injuries, you know, some of us who are in the PT world will understand this, it, are hamstring pulls when it comes to soft tissue, right? I didn't have many because I wasn't super fast, but it usually happens with the fast guys, right? But how it works is this. That you, your body needs to work with one another. Your quadricep muscle is one of the most powerful set of muscles that your body has. Easily developed. The hamstrings uh, sit behind that on the backside. They're in an antagonistic relationship, meaning one extends, one pulls. Right, The hamstring pulls. Oftentimes, the, the, the quadricep muscle could be overdeveloped and your hamstring isn't able to keep up. So what happens as, you're, as you flex your and you run and, you, and your quadriceps flex, it could pull your hamstring muscle. And this is what happens in Christian in life. Some of us Christians are more mature. We understand truth more. We're more confident about life. We want to experience our freedoms and liberties. But when you flex your spiritual muscles and causes one of your weaker brothers to stumble, instead of building them up, it could wound them. This is exactly what happens, there's an imbalance. So the onus goes to the stronger brother or sister to say, you know what? I'm gonna defer, wait till I get home and eat this. I'm not gonna eat this in front of you. I'm not gonna drink this in front of you because it's gonna cause you to stumble. Instead of building up your faith, it's gonna cause you to violate your conscience and wonder if he or she has sinned against God. Body life, this is what this is about. We work with one another. This is, Christianity is, is not a privatizing, just me, myself, and I. It's, it's Christ and all of us. right? Just, we got one head and all of us are body parts here. Universally, but particularly locally. Because this is where uh, Paul, I believe, is t- emphasizing at the local level. Because you're not going to be able to have meals with someone over in another part of the world. These meal situations happen within our body life here. So the stronger brother will willingly surrender our liberties for the sake of our weaker brothers or sisters. Now, just a little side point here, but I want to cover this. Verse 29 says, For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? What is that talking about? This means this. If you surrender your right to do something, let that be. You, you, You willingly lay it down. However... This is important because weaker brothers should not become weaker. Weak, I mean, stronger brothers should not become weaker, and stronger sisters should not become weaker. What well, this is saying, you willingly, out of love, you surrender eating things, drinking things for the sake of your brother or sister. However, in your conscience, in your convictions, you don't have to change. You don't have to feel bad about it. Well, legalism that's called legalism when other people put a higher standard. Then what God requires of you. And you, it, it, it binds you, it burdens you. You know exactly why you're not flexing your muscle out of the good of your brother or sister. But deep inside, live in freedom. Live in freedom. We want to avoid legalism. Let's go to our third point here. How does Christ build his church? So exciting here. Bodybuilding happens as the body glorifies the head. Glorifies the head. Verse 31 is a very famous verse. Whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, right? Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The doxa of God, the brightness of God, the radiance of God. You're doing this to shine for God, all right? This is the principle that should guide us as we discern what to do, what not to do. In all of life, all of life, Christ is the head and the body exists to Uphold the head. We exist to lift up the head. This is why we exist. We understand this. But children, I want to ask you, what does it mean to glorify God? Parents, think, 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 think. What would I tell my son or daughter? How can I explain it to them in an easily understandable way? This is what we tell our children. What does it mean to glorify God? To make him look good. Simply put, make God Jesus Christ, look good. How you eat, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, you do all to make God look good. Eating or drinking, should I eat, should I drink, what should I do? I don't know, these are very mundane things of life. This is not very complicated. Even to the most mundane things of life, do it to make God look good. Or don't do it to make God look good. Whatever you do, the Bible says, This is anything. Which university should I go to? Should I marry this woman? Should I marry this man? Should I date this person? Should I watch this Netflix episode? Let's not be so legalistic. However, ask yourself this question. Does this make God look good? Does this glorify God? It's pretty simple. Pretty simple. And I love how the Lord makes it very clear. In particular now... This principle was taught in the context of how we build up one another. In bodybuilding relationships, we filter all liberties through this principle, meaning, should I do this? I know I could, but should I do this? Does this help build up my brother or sister? That's the idea. Does this glorify God by how I do this? And if you have this mentality, as verse 32 and 33 talk about, then you cause no offense to other people. You start pleasing people, not as a people pleaser, but you start blessing people. You start being a blessing to all people, Jews, Gentiles, and those in the church. That covers the whole human spectrum. You want to be somebody who lives your life without developing any obstacles for people to believe in the gospel. This is what we're talking about. Building the church. Verse 33 at the end says this, so that they may be saved. There's an absolute evangelistic uh, effect when you love your brother or sister so well that you're willing to surrender yourself for their good. And the world is watching. Let me read you a short paragraph out of this book called The Compelling Community. Compelling Community is written by Mark Dever and Jamie Dunlop. Some of us pastors had a chance to spend some significant time with Mark Dever this week. Providence. The Lord loves our church. He's bringing incredible gifts to help us. Mark Dever and Jamie Dunlop wrote this book. And it's about how we live out the gospel within ourselves. Demonstrates the power of the gospel. Let me read. The local church is not evangelism. Okay. But the local church should be the power of evangelism. As such, evangelism should be both personal and corporate. It is personal. It is generally involves explaining the gospel in the context of a friendship rather than simply bringing someone to church. It's personal. We have the relationships with people, just like we go to this dinner and we share the gospel. And it is corporate without introducing non-Christians to the local church, meaning if it's just... This is you and me hanging out, you and the non believer, they're not going to be able to see this portion, which is coming up. Christi- without introducing non Christians to the local church, evangelism ignores the greatest, the greatest evidence we have for the truth of the gospel. Meaning, how we live and how we love one another demonstrates that the gospel is absolutely real. So, your non believing friend is able to see this. And go like, wow, what kind of love is this? In particular, when they come at a culture of such as Corinth or the Western culture where we think about me, myself, and I. There's something different. Why did Joey not eat that prime rib? I know Joey. He loves prime rib. Why did he not eat it this time? There seems to be some kind of a thing going on with he and his friend that he brought. And both of them are supposed to be Christians. Heinrich Hein, German philosopher, said this. i read this before. He says, show me your redeemed life, and I might be inclined to believe in your Redeemer. Amen? The life that we live, that we are changed, we're different from the world. We're distinct from the world and how the world thinks. So that man or woman, that non-believing host that invited you to that dinner for scenario number two, you might offend them like, man, I worked hard for this but they're able to witness the love that you have for your brother or sister and go like, wow, this is compelling. This Jesus that they're talking about, this God of love must be real in their lives. I could see this is not normal. This is very important. John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says this, right? They'll know you that you're my disciples, but how you what? Love one another. Thank you how you love one another. Exactly right. A compelling community. Do we have a compelling community here at Evergreen? I know with Phil's situation, I know a lot of brothers and sisters came around, he and Kristen, to come alongside them, encourage them. It was compelling to see that. It was compelling to see that. This is why we need to share our lives with one another. That's why if you're going through a hardship, don't keep it to yourself. Not only will it bless you by telling other people, but it gives people an opportunity to sacrificially love you. We're not called to be speed a like, I'm going through this hard thing and I just can't tell anyone. That's not Christian. That's not Christian. Christian says, I am part of Christ and I'm part of his body. And I want to give an opportunity for someone to show their love to me. Right? So even if it's not for yourself, you could, it's about others. You, even in your hurts, you could look to edify other people by pr- providing opportunities to serve. Amen? Let's go to our fourth and final point. Let's finish up here. How does Christ build a church? Bodybuilding happens as the body imitates the head. Verse 11, Chapter 11, verse 1 says this, Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Paul is saying, imitate me. Leadership of our church, if you're involved in any form of leadership, whether it be a vocational pastor or some kind of lay leader, they're looking to us as an examples to imitate Christ. Paul says to Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine because your life will undergird the teaching that you do. Does your life have integrity? Does it match somewhat what you actually teach? Right? So this is important that we understand this. Paul certainly lived this out. He surrendered his liberties, Right? He said, I become a slave to all to win more to Christ. Paul willingly surrendered his riches. Paul willingly surrendered his status. Paul willingly, certainly willingly surrendered his comfort. All those hardships that he went through. But you know what? It's not about worshiping Christ or copying Christ. Paul is really charging the Corinthians to be about discipleship. What does he see at the end of verse 1 of chapter 11? Just as I also am of Christ. He qualifies it. He goes, copy me because I'm copying Christ. This is discipleship. Who discipled Paul? Jesus. G- Paul is discipling in the Corinthians. 2,000 years later, through all the discipleship relationships, here we are at Evergreen SGV. We've been discipled. So it starts with Christ, though. He is the standard. He is the one who started it, and it ends with Christ. He is the one that we want to become like. Finishing up here with application. I want to leave you with one application. The head has given all of us some level of influence. Amen? I mean, not all of us get to serve as vocational pastors. I get that. Certainly none of us get to be Paul. But Christ, the head, has jointed all of us Meaning the arms, the joint, the elbow, we work together. Hamstring, right? Quadricep, we work together. Who are you jointed with? Who are you in relationship with here at Evergreen SUV? Right? We all have a certain level of influence. My question is this to myself as well Is your life worth imitating? And speaking for myself, and for the church I'd say yes and no. I right, God's giving me some strengths, God's giving you some strengths. Certainly I have some weaknesses and certainly you have some weaknesses. And the idea is not to reproduce myself because you might get my strengths but you certainly get my weaknesses. You don't want to reproduce a lot of little Rockies, nor do you want to reproduce yourself. That's why when we're more involved with one another, the whole church is able to influence you. You're able to see a fuller picture of Christ because we all bring our strengths. We all bring our passions. We all bring our scars. We all bring our experiences. We all bring our age and our youth and everything in between so that when you see it all together, you see a fuller picture of Christ. The goal is to become like Christ This is why we need to be in relationship with one another. And this is what I want to finish off with. Christ is the one who gave up everything. He's the example that Paul followed. Christ, who was rich, became poor, so that you and I could become rich through his suffering. Amen. What that means, brothers and sisters, is this: If you're not in part of the body, this message, just believing in this message, will put you part of his body. This is the gospel message. The gospel message is this: that we are all sinners, that we've offended God, and no, none of us live the perfect life. And upon death, we will be judged by Christ ahead Himself. If we die as sinners and apart from him forever in a place called hell. That's bad news. But the gospel, which means good news, says this. Christ, who is God himself, who have been worshipped by the greatest creations of all, have been worshipped for all of eternity, willingly surrendered all that, came and was born as a human, took on human flesh, surrendered much of his divine privileges so that he could live amongst us and eventually surrendered his life on the cross and pay the price that we all deserve. And the Bible says that he was killed on the cross and then he was buried. But on the third day, that first Lord's Day, he resurrected to life. And the Bible says this, if you believe in him and trust in him as your Lord and Savior, meaning I know he died for my sins, he's my Savior, he paid for my, my sins, but my Lord, he's my head. The Bible says you will be saved and you get to be part of the body of Christ. Friends, have you trusted that message? Friends, have you been wrestling with that today? Friends, as you're listening online or here, God providentially, sovereignly brought you here to hear this message, really consider that today could be the day that you're changed forever. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to preach your word. Thank you that you're building your body as Christians long to see you, Lord, We get to see a preview of heaven as the body of Christ is being built up, even in difficult times, even in crazy times. Christ, you are in on the throne. Christ, you're the head. Christ, you're building your church. And thank you for the privilege that you're using us to help build your church. We don't deserve it. But you graciously allowed this to happen. Father, I pray for those right now who need to put your, their trust in you, that your spirit will grab a hold of them and they will surrender it and bend the knee and call you Jesus, Lord and Savior. Will you do this now for these people right now? And Father, for those who put their faith in you, Lord, I pray that they would tell somebody here today. They will tell a pastor. They'll tell someone around them so that we could help them. Grow in our relationship with you and one another. Thank you, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.